Hello, I'm Barry Murphy, a tax partner at PwC, and welcome to the latest edition of our Talking Tax podcast. And today we're going to talk about the future of work, and in particular, the whole issue of contingent labour. Whether you call it contractors, contingent labour, or off payroll, what does it mean for business? What does it mean for individuals? And actually, what does it also mean for the tax system? And I'm delighted that today I'm joined by Julian Sansom, who leads our employment practice and is also leading our whole efforts at PwC in this area of contractors, how business deals with them, how government addresses the issue, and is out consulting widely on that. And also Juliet Stuttard, who is the Director of Workforce Transformation at PwC, dealing particularly with large-scale workforce transformation, both in the public and the private sector. So Julian, Juliet, welcome. Julian, maybe if we turn to you first, contingent labour, what are the statistics What's the growth in this off-payroll working? Why should we be worried? So, Barry, years ago, we'd have seen most large organisations employ most people. Um, these days, we're seeing an awful lot more of the front office as well as the back office be um, put out to be contingent labour. Last 20 years, we've seen an increase in self-employed from about 3.3 million to 4.8 million. We've now got over a million personal service companies, and that's one of the ways that contractors contract with organisations. Um, so we think huge growth, you know, huge growth across the whole piece. We expect that growth to continue. Um, we, we, you know, it's most organisations are telling us it's for the need to be flexible and be able to go after things quickly, to make rapid changes uh, when they need to adapt to new technology. Um, they, they will often look to the contractor market first, and at the same time. Uh, a lot of people like working like that. You know, they like the freedom and flexibility it can bring them. There's a whole contractor culture uh, that's built up, and it, and, it, and it works for them as well. You know, so it works on both sides. And does that mean that the new employment growth is more contractor or contingent driven, but there's still the largest chunk is we still have an awful lot of regularly employed people? Yeah, you know, clearly, the, most people are regularly employed uh, within the UK. and. Um, but but the biggest area of growth has been the contractors and, and other self-employed categories over the last few years. Uh, so we can see that uh, when, for example, um, we we look at we look at the tax side, where about eighty-five percent of tax revenue comes from the employed sector, about fifteen percent from those who are not employees on, on the income tax side. So employees are still by far and away the largest part of the working population in the UK, um, but. The contractor market is very, very important, and when when you read a lot of what the government's been saying, and also what Matthew Taylor's been saying um, about UK PLC or UK economy, having a flexible labour market is very, very important for us um, as as we adapt. And we've we've probably got one of the most flexible labour markets in Europe. Okay, so it's about the growing trend and where does that lead us, rather than here now. But Juliet, you work a lot with the public mm -hmm. sector as well. Are you seeing the same trends there? Yeah, I mean, um, IR35 was in place in the public sector from 2017, so over the last couple of years it's been subject to that. Um, what I've seen is many organisations react very in the very short term by actually employing those contractors who have the, the larger skill sets or the, if they lost them they'd lose DNA from the organisation. So there's a, a short term reaction. But the long term reaction is for them to really think about their workforce size and shape and to really think about what they build, what skills they build, what they borrow from other places and what they buy in. So it's really forced a change in behaviour and a, a long term drive to think about the workforce, which is really positive. Yeah. Okay. And Juliet, you mentioned IR 35. Um, Julian, I think, do you yeah, want to explain a, what it, that it's, is? Um, 
it, it, it confused me for years, Barry. Um, it's, it's, it's a bit of tax legislation that was brought in specifically to look at contractors. And what, what the initials mean, it was brought in in the 1999 budget. We used to have the inland revenue back in those days, and it was inland revenue press release number 35. And it's got, then got this big life to it, which uh, confuses everybody. But what, what it basically said was, um, if, if you work for an organization and there's an intermediary, so you work through a company or through something else for that organization, um, for the purposes of determining whether you're an employee for tax or self-employed for tax, you ignore the intermediary company. So if you're inside IR35, as it's called, um, you should be taxed as an employee, or outside means you're self you should be taxed as self-employed. So that brings up this whole issue of who is employed and self-employed. You made it sound very easy as to how we determine that. Is that right? It's a good question, Barry. It's, uh, it's, it's subject to many, many, many um, tribunals, cases, etc. Uh, we don't have, so in the UK, we, we don't have strict definitions in terms of numerical tests or absolutely specific statutory tests around this. A lot's been built up through case law. Um, and there's a lot of gray areas in terms of whether someone's an employee or not. There are, there are certain key tests which, which, which will be applied. And often, if you look at someone you know, doing the same sort of job in, under the control of an organization, they're probably an employee. Or if you look at someone who's fully independent and can make their own decisions, supply other labor, they're not really under control, they could be self-employed. But there's a big gray area in between. And certainly with the way that working practices emerge, uh, some of the understood definitions are being are being tested. So take the gig economy, for example. Um, that's a whole different way of working. That, 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 well, technically, gig economy has been around for donkey's years. But the way we do it now through apps is a recent development. And the, 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 the tax law and, and the, the labor law haven't really kept up with with the way those things work, you know? Okay. And I was going to say, you know, when you say there's lots of gray area mm. for moving more into gig economy, people having bright lines yeah. is going to help more. So we may yeah. come back to that theme, but what overall are these IR35 changes, Juliet, driving in terms of organization design? So we've mentioned the, that organizations need to remain agile and they need to be adaptive to their markets and their clients. And that is fundamentally driven by their organization design. So again, from the, the public sector view, we've, we've seen a lot of organizations refocus their organizations, looking at their role descriptions, looking at how they, how they quantify jobs and saying, actually, let's have broader, more flexible job opportunities that both can be done by permanent and core workforce or done by contingent labor. The other thing is, is looking at the balance between contingent labour and core. And um, what we found is many organisations typically employ um, contractors for, say a year, but, but actually some employ them for more than that. So they've really got to look at the balance of their workforce and all, almost over time, how they create an organisation design that works for them in the longer term. So really looking again far into the future. Okay, and you're saying that sounds like a change you said earlier on, mm. We've, we got a little bit of short-termism sometimes. Very this is much about so. more fundamental design. Yeah. And, and do all of these changes then, Julian, mean the business case for whether you use contractors or not has changed? Yeah, so look, um, I guess I should just backtrack slightly and just, just say, look, what the changes are on IR35 that we've got coming in. They're all around making sure that organisations start to do the assessment themselves of whether somebody should be self-employed or employed and there are different implications for costs. Our view is uh, it does change the business case a little bit but the fundamental driver between whether you use contingent labour or not is business need and the need to be flexible. Um, Organisations we see having more than half of the workforce as contingent labour. 
Um, we've done a recent survey where only 21% said the cost was the key driver. It, it's flexibility which is the key driver here, Barry. Uh, so if, if you needed someone um, last year, I suspect you'll still need them to be flexible next year, e even though there might be a marginal increase in cost going forward. So, so the business case does need to be looked at, but the fundamentals as to why you'd have contractors uh, rather than regular long-term employees are still there and still very important for our, uh, in the UK. And, and maybe for both of you, do you see that balance continuing to shift? Do you continue to see a growth in contingent off payroll, whatever workers, and maybe a reduction in the regularly employed workforce, as we mentioned earlier? Do you see that balance increasing over time? I, I do, because I think that comes from individuals themselves. As, as Julie mentioned, I mean, people like this way of working, and the new, new generations coming into the workforce, they like a flexible portfolio career when they move in and out of organisations. It's not like they're employed by one organisation all their lives. So that, that is driving. So it's not just legislative, it's not just tax changes. It's actually being forced by people wanting a different type of career. The way, the way I see it, you know, it, it almost comes back to the fundamental question of what a company is there for. Is it a collection of capital that's then deployed in the most efficient way? As we get new services, new products, etc., uh, if we get new businesses spring up, they're, they're likely to adopt a much leaner process um, to go to market. The only way you can really compete with that is to also have a lean process, which implies you need to have a lot of flexible labour, and contractors will be a key part of that flexible labour pool. So if we think about the future of work, you know, it's a more flexible pool, is growing all the time. The tax system itself, maybe Julian, is designed for regular employment that feeds the current pension system. What do you see as the biggest challenges for the overall tax system dealing with this and the way forward? Yeah, so look, 45% um, of UK tax is from income tax. 85% of that is, uh, is, is from employed or pay as you earn. Uh, that's a big piece of what the UK needs to be funded. Um, in the self-employed world or contractor world, the, the, the view of the government is that um, individual contractors have not always necessarily applied the same rigour to whether they should be taxed as employees or not as a company might do. And the tax change is all around getting companies to take responsibility for that going forward. Um, so that will drive some change. Um, but the need for the flexible worker is, is there in the big time. I think another angle to think of is the benefits side. And if you think about Taylor's Good Work and all, all of those proposals, that's all about protecting some of the lower paid workers in the UK workforce. Um, as we get more flexible and agile workforces, how do we ensure they have proper, proper rights? You know, they might not be employees, but how do we get rights packages, redundancy packages, maternity pay, sick pay? How do we get that working for them? when they're not necessarily going through a large organisation. So I think that'll be a big focus uh, going forward. And as you said, Julia, it has almost that's, there's a fundamental rethink of that whole strategy for the economy, not just for individual businesses. So maybe a quick one before we close for both of you. You're in front of the classroom today and you're asked, should I be a contractor or an employee? What would your answer be? It's whatever works for you. I think it's increasingly relevant for people and. At very many stages of their life to think about that. And actually, sometimes it's not as effective for you to be permanently employed, particularly if you've got career responsibilities or you want to do something else with your life. So I think it has to be right for you. And I think it's becoming more and more evident that people are doing that at different stages of their careers. And I think that's a, a great point to finish on. It's understanding the options mm -hmm. and the reality of them. And I think you've both, Julie and Juliet, given us plenty of food for thought today. Thank you very much for that. 
I think some of the immediate challenges are around how do we all contribute to the thinking of protection of worker rights, how the tax system needs to develop to raise what we need to fuel society, the type of society we want. And I don't think there's any very quick answers. But thanks for helping us to explore the issue of the future of work and contractors and contingent workforce today. And thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please engage and leave any comments you have on the topics that we discussed today and subscribe so you can listen to our series of podcasts on Talking Tax. Thank you.